everyone. Welcome to another edition of DevOps Unbound, where we talk about DevOps, hence the title. Uh, thanks for joining us. This, this, uh, this episode is titled DevOps Unicorns, the quest for end-to-end -end DevOps. You know, I've been in IT 30 plus years, and there's always been this tension or this pendulum that swings between the one throat to choke versus the best of breed solutions in any area. Today it's DevOps and, and software delivery and you know deployment. Um, but in anything, in the security world, in, in everything, in hosting and infrastructure, uh, it, it's always been a, a common theme. But it's really, really becoming acute within the DevOps uh, sector now. And we've assembled what we think is a great panel to discuss this issue. Let me introduce you to them, and uh, we will we'll go from there. First of all, I want to welcome, uh, well, to a panel for the first time in a long time, my friend Larry Mascheroni. Larry, welcome to DevOps Unbound. If, give people a little background, if you don't mind. Oh, gr uh, sure. Uh, thanks for having me here, Alan. First of all, I want to say, um, so I launched the DevSecOps Transformation Program at Comcast and grew that for five years. And, and I'm a developer at heart though. So I was sort of the ideal person to take what was actually becoming more common outside of big enterprises, DevSecOps, and try to actually do a dev first approach inside of a large enterprise like Comcast. And so all my experiences around was around that uh, recently, last five years is around that. Excellent. Next, let me introduce you. She's a repeat uh, visitor to DevOps Unbound. Garima, if I mess up your last name, I, I apologize in advance, but Garima Baipal, close? Uh, almost, yeah. So I'm Garima Bajpai. I'm based out of Ottawa, Canada, and I'm the founder for the DevOps Community of Practice here in Canada, which has three chapters, Toronto, Ottawa, and Edmonton. I'm also the organizer for the DevOps Summit in Canada, which happens in November 8th and 9th. And I'm also associated with organizations like DevOps Institute as an ambassador, as well as CD Foundation as an ambassador. Fantastic. And Garima, I apologize on your last name. My, my bad. I'm trying to read it. and The monitor is too far away from me without my glasses. But thank you for correcting me and, and welcome. Um, next up, another good friend of mine, my actually a business partner on, on Digital Anarchist. And though that's not his full time gig these days, he's very busy with his Red Hat career. The one and only Bacha Galoop, John Willis. John, welcome. Uh, thank you, sir. Thank you, Alan. Hey, yeah, John Willis, Bachelorette on Twitter. Uh, my current day job is in a team called Global Transformation Office at Red Hat. Um, yeah, I'm sort of blessed to be on a team with Andrew Clay Schaefer, uh, Kevin Bear, the co-author of the Phoenix Project, and Jay Bloom. Um, my just quickly, you know, I've been in the industry for 40 plus years, 10 or 11 startups, 12 books, if somebody's counting. Probably the most notable is the co-author of DevOps Handbook. Also, was involved in uh, basically the starting and building of the original DevOps days. Was the only American at the first DevOps days, and then Damon Edwards and I created the first uh, DevOps days event in the USA. Yep, and and that's only a partial list, John. Thanks for joining us today, man. And then. Um, 
I want to introduce, she's off camera right now, but hopefully when you're watching this, at least you get to see her picture. But she's having some video uh, difficulties, but happy to have her on audio. My friend Raven Manuel. Raven, welcome. And, and if you wouldn't mind, give people a little background. Thank you, Alan. I do appreciate being on your show. It is awesome. It makes me laugh. Um, I am the senior application developer for the National Museum of African American History and Culture. And I'm also the DevOps engineer for that particular unit. Um, I, as a developer, I implement the, some of the hands-on interactives that you play with in the museum. And as a DevOps engineer, I am in charge of just about everything that's DevOps from the cloud solutions and how we, um, um, from the application development side, how we're using cloud and the tools and writing policy, well, strategies and keeping my um, leadership informed of all of the good things that are out there. Fantastic. And Raven, welcome and thanks. Thanks for joining us today. Last but not least, my co-host here on DevOps Unbound, Mitch Ashley. Hey, Mitchell, welcome. You want to just introduce yourself? Great, great to be here. Man, what a panel. I'm so excited to be with these folks on today. Yeah, I, I head up an accelerated strategies group, analyst firm focusing on, of course, DevOps and digital transformation as well as cybersecurity and cloud. And I also serve as CTO with MediaOps, so heading up the platform strategy and technologies that we use to deliver programs like this. So uh, like John, I think we've been probably in the industry about the same amount of time and I have zero books to my credit. So mm. made a lot more progress in, in those areas, but also a startup person and, uh, you know, run a lot of software projects, product, as well as IT groups, as well as on the vendor side. So this will be a fun discussion. Absolutely. I should mention DevOps Unbound is sponsored by our friends at Tricentis. Um, to give you an idea of what a great sponsor they are, they don't even have anyone on our panel today, but they do they do enable this show to go forward, you know, every other week. So many, many thanks to Tricentis. So John, I, I laid it out, right? It's the one throat to choke versus best of breed. Do we, you know, how many vendors can we support? Uh, how do I package solutions that are more than just point solutions? Or maybe I just want point solutions. What, what's the answer here, John? The answer is, Alan, I would say if I had the right answer, I'd be on a Grady White right now. In the Gulf exactly. And I'd be um, right with you. But um, no, I think it's a great panel. I agree with Mitch. I'm, I'm excited about the just the, the discussions that we can all have. I, I think it, the question, you know, I was thinking just that sort of Chinese curse translation, may you live in interesting times, right? And right, that's clearly where we are right now. And I think your question, right, starts with, um, a, a shift, right? Like there was this whole, me and you, Mitchell, some of us have been here forever. And like back in the day, there was this question of one throat to choke versus, so should I do an ELA with a computer associates versus um, piecemeal things, right? Um, and very, probably less than 1% of the enterprises were a do it yourselves, right? Now today you will find probably, I'm just going to swag the number, but it's probably north of 10, maybe 15%, maybe even higher of companies that are now being challenged to do the do it yourself. You know, Kubernetes is a great example, right? That's, that's a can opener for companies to make a decision of, are my vendors keeping up with what comes from basically sort of upstream 
technology that I should build myself. So I think the, 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 that's the sort of the question we move into is more about, do you build uh, internally to solve your problems to keep up with the changes in the market and the technology? Or do you try to find a pair of vendors or a single vendor? And it really is very few single vendors that can give you the whole scope of you know, what's going on in modern technology today. So I think that's that that's the question that like I, I think we'll have fun just talking about today. No questions. Don't disagree. Panel. So Alan, this is Raven. I agree with you, John. I think um, one of the things that, because that's a struggle for me and and my organization is we need help with implementing DevOps, but I think that vendors are very tool focused. And we um, and the tools are like the third priority in the, um, the the stack of there. And what I've been doing when I'm building the strategy for how we're going to implement DevOps, I look and we're talking about tools. I look at at the um, standards because if the if the if they're making standards and the tool has to follow that standard, then it's plug and play. You don't get um, like if. Docker decides that they're going to go out of business, then you can have another container um, type um, technology to do that. So we, when we are looking at vendors, we actually kind of do a piecemeal because we're really unicorns. We don't, we're not a software company. We don't have software products. We have digital products and they're all one-offs. And so it really just depends on what fits for us. So we don't really go for the one vendor solution. We actually go for who can help us get to where we need based on our pro uh, our business problem? Excellent. Yeah. And I wanted to add uh, a few things because uh, when uh, we uh, drill deeper into this conversation, we will find out that there are two sides of this coin. Uh, one part is where an organization uh, from a maturity perspective is. And the second thing is what are the vendor-centric capabilities you're looking at? But if you look at both sides of the coin, there are three things which are needed to ca calibrate these DevOps tools in the overall context. The first thing, and this is, I, I want to reiterate the fact because I come from a very large complex organization background that uh, it is very essential to have an enterprise architecture view. So um, I would uh, suggest and recommend that uh, before even you know uh, taking uh, this approach of you know single vendor or multi vendor you know discussion, we need to kind of break down uh, what are uh, the key capabilities which are needed. So whether it's a single vendor which can provide you that enterprise IT architecture capability, or it will be your organization who will be doing it. So that's essential. The second thing I think uh, which, is, which is also essential is the orchestration layer. You know, you'll have to have that governance of total cost of ownership, compliance, security, identity access management, and that orchestration layer has to be there to stitch all your calibrated DevOps tools. So it's a question of whether you want to kind of build it in-house in that organization, or you kind of, you know, have a, a vendor-centric approach where, 
uh, this capability should be or uh, could be you know brought in so these are like two things and then you start calibrating these devops tools so you don't have to you know look at the foundational aspects of uh, you know compliance security governance total cost of ownership and it the job becomes much more easier and the 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 question is that you know how to bring these devops tools and enable business value so I, I want to riff off of that um, orchestration layer idea, but um, I want to backtrack a little bit uh, on, on sort of the, the, we have a binary sort of difference here between unicorn and best of breed. But I think within the unicorn bucket, there's really two major flavors of unicorn that are wildly different. And, and so I want to sort of bring that out. You have these Frankenstein vendors that are piecing together acquisitions into this monster and 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 those are are not pleasant experiences and your 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 own the only benefit you get out of out of one vendor in that case is really the the contracting benefit of of having a single master service level agreement you're not getting an integrated product that really allows you to actually smoothly do the workflow, insist in the workflow that developers are using to produce value for your company. And then you have this other class of, of, of unicorns in the DevOps world, but less so in the security world, and I'll talk about that in a second, which are have taken a marketplace approach. And, and, and this is not a DevOps vendor, but I think the first vendor to really pull off this marketplace approach or was Atlassian? You know, they had one product that was really great, but they said, okay, plug into this product. And they created APIs and they created toolkits and they created a whole community. Most of those people did it for free and they just sort of did it for themselves and then they shared it with the community. But some of those people became vendors and sold their product in the Atlassian marketplace. And then Atlassian acquired those. They were already pre-integrated with Atlassian's other offerings when they got acquired. And so their acquisition unicorn approach doesn't look like a Frankenstein's monster in the end because the, they were built with the APIs of the vendor in place. And I think GitHub is definitely taking that marketplace approach and pulling it off really well, even into the security space. And, and so I think that kind of unicorn and GitLab to a lesser degree, that kind of unicorn doesn't suffer from that Frankenstein monsters. Um, sort of sort of problem. No one in the security space has really pulled off the 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 marketplace approach yet, though. Um, we have some Frankenstein's and Frankenstein monsters over there, but we don't have a full sort of marketplace approach. And I, I I'm waiting for somebody to do that. I think that's going to be the I, big win. Somebody. I'd like to do a whole podcast on that because that's all I've been thinking about right now is what is the end to end on security, but. Like if I got into it now, it'd take up way too much time. So I, I did want to comment on some of the things. You know, the first, uh, Raven, I, I think the interesting thing about standards, I agree, right? The problem we have right now is figuring out which standards are actually going to last or malleable, right? I mean, that's one of the things I've been really working hard on is looking at like OSCAL versus OVAL versus SCAP versus, uh, you know, just uh, NIST 8800. I mean, there's just so many things that, and, and, um, and, and they all sort of have a little bit of different approach. So that sort of, sort of, the, I agree. The question we have to deal with now in, in these sort of, you know, maybe live in interesting times is it's like picking sort of an early vendor. 
like, you know, I like this vendor technology, but are they going to be around? Are they going to get acquired by a company that I don't really want to do business with? Um, I, I think the standards is just, it's so, it's such um, complicated. Just the other thing I want to say is, I, I think that for vendors, you know, uh, and I'm not, that's because I work for Red Hat, because I will say right now that the thing that like in the grand scheme of technology, if you're going to go all in a vendor, look around, um, you know, I, I'm going to say this, I, I'd love to be corrected. And I'm not saying, you know, Red Hat because I work a Red Hat. Um, anybody that knows me, I'm not a shrill for any vendor I've ever worked with, but it's VMware and Red Hat, right? They can keep up with, you know, because you got to have, in this world, you have to have people on staff, their full-time job are contributors to an open source project. You know, um, and, and if you think about what's going on with like Kubernetes and clusters and, and serverless, you know, you think of the the two companies that are uh, that are positioned really well um, at that sort of scale version to be able to keep up with the complexity and change of technology because they put the resources in. I, I you know, I mean, there's a bunch of, a longer list that you could probably make after that, but, and I'm not including the cloud providers either because that's a different story. Anyway, those are two comments I want to make on some of the things that people talked about. I just wanted to jump in. What's fascinating about this conversation is how diverse and complex it is, right? There are a lot of aspects to consider, whether it's an enterprise architecture like Kareem's talking about, John's talking about who are the vendors can pull it off. Larry is, is too, if you're talking about sort of this roll-up strategy, but a truly integrated strategy. I, I think another dimension to consider is every organization has a DNA about how they think and operate when it comes to vendors and software and tools. And, and why I'm, I'm not always an advocate of go with the flow, sometimes when you're thinking about how do we have something adopted, think about how the organization operates. If you are a kind of a large tool vendor, let's work with you know Red Hat or VMware or uh, Broadcom or whoever it might be, uh, the, Think about that. That's oftentimes, you, you know, save yourself some some brain cells and, and live a little longer. There's also the innovation curve, you know, and some of the best ways to ride the innovation curve is the open source route and, and the vendors that, that are built around that kind of a strategy. There's combinations of all those. So I guess that the thing I would add to the consideration, the conversation here is, Think about how you match up your strategy with the DNA of the organization so you can accomplish as much without uh, killing as few brain cells as possible. And thank you, uh, Mish, for bringing up this uh, point of DNA of an organization. I think that it, this is a powerful uh, dialogue which we are having. I do believe that uh, that the mindset is shifting. And even I see in uh, large legacy enterprises that they have started to realize that, you know, this vendor-based approach is something which needs to shift. And they need to bring uh, people as partners in this context because, you know, when you think about DevOps, uh, it's basically exploring new opportunities, breaking the barrier for, you know, uh, your technology onboarding, the gaps, the alignment and outcome gaps you have created uh, in the past. I think this is the opportunity where the organizations can shift and, you know, bring uh, more access to innovation through these partners. So I truly believe that there are softer aspects of this conversation as well, which we need to kind of consider that uh, traditionally how contracts are modeled, you know, how we look at, uh, you know, these uh, DevOps tools from a vendor perspective, how can we bring them as partners? What will need to change if we, uh, we start doing that? It's not kind of 
uh, done overnight, right? So you, we'll have to kind of set what kind of modeling practices we need to bring in. And this opens up uh, another door of you know, uh, possibilities. And probably uh, during this conversation, we will have some opportunity to discuss these you know, SLA constraints, which we have built in the organizations, which steer us to a specific vendor or steer us to like a specific vendor, which through which we can outsource a lot of capabilities and just you know choke the throat uh, approach, right? So let's uh, maybe, uh, uh, in the upcoming discussions, we also uh, can bring this these points and highlight. Raven, I know Smithsonian is sort of quasi-governmental, right? It's not true government, but but Grima's point about SLAs and and being able to only deal with, you know, chosen vendors like that, it's it is it, it is a, a a real governor. On, on your ability to, to choose best of breed, on your ability to, to have choice in, in how you want to do things. Um, interested in, in your experiences around that. It's been difficult. I've been listening to this conversation and I, I, it just hit, I don't know why it just hit me, but um, the vendors, and I love Red Hat, so I'm not trying to talk Red Hat or anything, um, and OpenShift, but when you get a vendor that you have worked with and you trust, um, and Smithsonian, we are we use Red Hat a lot in our OCIO. They um, Red Hat is doing um, OpenShift and Kubernetes, and they are driving their tools to these specific tools. And for me, as a um, a unit within the Smithsonian, and I may not want to use OpenShift and I may not want to use Kubernetes, but I don't actually have a choice, right? Because that, that vendor is a great vendor and that they've got great tools, but they have chosen for me what I'm going to be using. And that makes it really hard um, for me to say, does that really fit what I really need? Is that um, is that too much? Because I can tell you that a lot of the vendors that I talk to, they're expecting us to use this like suite of products and it's too much for what we want to do. And so I'm, I'm left with, I either go with this vendor and overspend because, and use tools that I don't really need, or I have to do it myself because I can't really find somebody that can customize that for me. So it, it's, it's a challenge. Yeah. yeah that, it sounds you know, like it. Uh, one of the things I, I struggle with, you know, I, I sort of love Kubernetes and hate Kubernetes, right? Because I, I, I so, you know, like HashiCorp has this cluster manager called Nomad. And I've actually seen people use it effectively with like incredibly less toil, 80% of the features of it, but it's never going to get any escape velocity. It hasn't, it won't. And, you know, I fear for our industry that we're like so focused on like, there's just only one way to do cluster management today. And, um, where like we're, we're sort of to to Raven's point, like you know, you know whether it's Red Hat or whatever, uh, it seems like you know you're not a, even able to explore, you know, possible emerging sort of cluster, you know, containerized cluster management solutions, because all of the oxygen in our industry right now is consumed by Kubernetes. Amen. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> thoughts on that? I, I I'd like to jump in with some thoughts on that. I mean. This is, you know, sort of a, a dream nightmare scenario, right? I'll take it. Let's take it off Kubernetes. Let's go back to PC operating systems. 
it was great that we had only windows to 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 develop on and this way if you were an app developer you only had to worry about developing on windows you had one operating system you could make your app on it and it worked and you got 90 percent market share with it what a, a fantastic thing for for app developers of course it gave microsoft the inside track on office and everything they did and from a security point of view what a big fat juicy payload that was right to to go attack so you know, then we started seeing, if, if for as long as I'm in IT, this is going to be the year of the Linux desktop, right? <laughs> How long have we heard that? That's, uh, you know, uh, but, and, and then, of course, Mac, you know, resurfaced. But this, this is, like, we, we strive for some uniformity. We strive for Kubernetes to be the standard because it's open source and it's run by a foundation and we want a standard. But then we chafe at, hey, we all can't fit into that same standard. We want, we want to, we want to be our own unicorn, right? And that's really what we're talking about here today. Um, if you go back to early, John, you 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 sold the company to Docker before Kubernetes dominance, right? And there were there were several cluster management solutions vying. Right, there was me, uh, Mesio Sphere and Rancher had their own. Yeah, <laughs> you remember? Yeah, breath of peace, exactly. So, you know, this is, but this is the world we, you know, to quote Hyman Roth in The Godfather Part Two. This is the world we chose to live in, right? We we strive for these single kind of standards that one size fits all, and may, and maybe that's a huge mistake. I don't know. Maybe it is a mistake. Larry, what do you think? Yeah, I, 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 I do see that problem that, that John and you are sort of focused on here, that, that sometimes the de facto standard is not the best technical choice. We're going, you can go all the way back to Betamax versus VHS, for those of you who are old enough to remember that, <laughs> right? Sure. Um, VHS won out, but Betamax was considered by everyone to be a superior technology. Why? You know? Um, so I think if you're going to take a best of breed approach, you're, you're going to have to, when you have a true de facto standard like Kubernetes, you don't have to isolate yourself from it. But when you're making a bet on which one's going to win out, and John is really good at this. John talks about this all the time. John, John sort of like, you know, doesn't want to put his chips down on something that's not going to survive long-term. So he, so he wants to think about what's going to survive. So in order to hedge your bet there, I think you need this orchestration layer that, that was talked about earlier. You, you need to sort of isolate um, the tool vendor from you know, the, the way it's consumed to a certain degree so you can plug and play a little bit as time goes on. And this is what we did at Comcast. We, we built a layer between all of the tool vendors for security tools because they don't have a good unicorn solution there. There is no good unicorn solution there anyway, even if I'd wanted to. Um, and so we had more than one vendor in every tool category competing internally. And sometimes we had three tool vendors, but the, from the developer's perspective, it was really easy for them to switch out from one to the other. And they got the same feedback uh, channels. They got the same visualization. It aggregated and scored the same way across all these different vendors. I think that orchestration layer is really key when you have a best of breed approach 
And I think you have to build it yourself. I don't, I don't think you can buy it today. I really, I really don't think you can, you can do that. So. I, I'll try to shut up quick. I just want to make a comment. I think there's two books that help us understand our world, right? One is Guns, German Steel by Jared Diamond, which actually shows you why we get into these predicaments. You know, if, you know, I would like, if you haven't read it, it's a fabulous book. Um, and then Start With Why by Simon Sinek is the sort of anti-pattern to that, right? Which, you know, I would say, like there's clusters, atomic compute, things like sort of serverless or functions or containers will be around for 10, 15 years. Clusters of those things will be around for 10 years. So if you think in those terms, instead of thinking about Kubernetes and Docker, and Docker already <laughs> slowly dying, then you, you sort of, you get that sort of start with why isolation against these sort of guns, germs, and steel trends. Right, and I also wanted to kind of uh, bring another aspect to this, which is connected, but uh, I think uh, companies might start looking at it from a scaling perspective. When you we talk about like a lot of tools and how to calibrate these tools in our DevOps pipeline, of course, when you have a large organization, you have multiple product lines, and these product lines will choose to be flexible. So they need to have that flexibility to deploy their DevOps pipeline in the way they choose, right? And that's the whole uh, power of DevOps, right? But I also feel that uh, the conversation in this um, uh, discussion is leading us to a point where we start looking at a technical oversight committee in from a governance perspective where we can stitch the dots. We can actually lay that common foundation which is required in order for people not to kind of re reinvent the wheel over and over again. So that's, I think that's that's the key here. And of course, when we talk about uh, a, a specific vendor lock-in with uh, huge capabilities, it has pros and cons, right? So one pro uh, would be like, you know, they can mutually enforce new capabilities. So when you we, uh, they bring one feature in one product, it's mutually enforcing in the other product, which is a beautiful advantage, you know, they bring in. But uh, that also limits our possibility to look beyond what the vendor is bringing in. So we are kind of essentially not exploiting our own innovation cycles to introduce more you know, capabilities around how we want to experiment, how we want to kind of build you know, innovative new features uh, into that life cycle. So these are kind of good uh, considerations to look at. And I truly believe that the te technical oversight committee is something which uh, you will see in large organizations will kind of you know, start steering uh, in a bigger way when it comes to DevOps. There, there's interesting too when you think about different sizes of companies in in the that are in the market for technologies. You know, Larry mentioned what he did at Comcast or what he was part of uh, that was created a, sort of an architecture where tools can be um, plugged in, unplugged, replaced, etc. Sounds simple, but I know that you know they have an architecture to do that, and, and some organizations have the wherewithal to create those things. <clears throat> what what we see in the data looking at the market is in the small business, the, the kind of sub 200 people or so companies, they, they have really good high performance teams that can work to create software, set up their own environments, kind of create a very productive uh, setup for themselves, tool chains, et cetera. Then on the high end or the large end, the enterprises, you know, they have a lot of resources available to them that they can potentially marshal to, to figure out how to do some of those things. The mid-tier market, 
the medium-sized mm. company is often where they're most challenged to, they want to do what, what, they, what an enterprise can do, but they just don't have the resources. They don't have the money or the, the vendor relationships of, across the board to do all those things. And they're, on, on, they're expected to deliver almost at an enterprise class level, but they don't have all of the resources to be able to do that. And that's often where you know, somebody, the, the non-Frankenstein vendors that, um, that do a good job of kind of delivering a suite yeah. of solutions can work in those situations. Not that they can't work in the others, they can too. But depending where you are in that kind of a company, that size of company makes a big difference on what strategy you can take. I think that's a great point. And, and, you know, my recent experience last five years has really been enterprise. But prior to that, I was, you know, talking to lots of companies and, and you're right, the mid-sized companies are the ones that are sort of in that no man's land sometimes where, where they need some standardization, they need some consistency, but they don't have the, the wherewithal to put it all together. And a vendor unicorn approach might actually be better in those, in those circumstances. Hey guys, I, I don't, I want to Raven was your, I'm going to let you in a sec. John, the name of the first book that you mentioned, I, I want to put these books in the notes oh, yeah. somewhere. Um, I, I did a presentation with Josh Corman way back, you know, Guns, Germs, and Steel. Um, anyway, it's, it's, it's an amazing book about how civilizations move from sort of, you know, the, how they go from sort of agriculture or, you know, and they move into these clusters. It's just, it's a, if you can see the, the forest behind the trees, you can see how we get into these, like Kubernetes is the only word we can use. Um, Anyway, Jared Diamond, Guns, Germs, and Steel. It's, it's incredible. So. All right, we'll, we'll try to get it in there. Raven, did you want to say something and I cut you off? No, I don't think that was me. Yeah, that was me, actually. Yeah, okay. I, I wanted to actually enhance what uh, um, Larry was saying about uh, mid-size uh, companies. And um, this is purely based on my experience and exposure with the Canada DevOps community of practice. We are seeing more and more these mid-size companies, not only uh, the consulting companies, as well as uh, the companies who want to build DevOps capability coming to the community of practice. And starting to steer this discussion of evaluation and assessment of tools. And I'm also seeing that the vendor side, you know, specifically we are talking about tier two companies here. The vendors are coming and, you know, exposing the tool capabilities in uh, the community of practice. And they want some, some support and help for us to kind of steer this conversation. Is this a good tool? Is this a good capability where they are in their context? And, you know, it's a, it's a very uh, interesting discussion because technical side is one side of the story. I would also like to kind of emphasize the fact the questions we ask these vendors and these uh, companies are like, okay, do you have a product owner? for this product because essentially you know what it means is that how accountability is built in the uh, you know uh, in a specific tool uh, perspective i also kind of uh, ensure that we ask them what kind of teams they have like what kind of cross functional teams they have so that we, we do not miss out on the point of interoperability um, integration automation all these like are important points so i just wanted to mention that how we take that approach from a community of practice perspective when we are asked to kind of assess. You know, 
I, I totally agree with all that. The one of the things I was thinking about, I, I've had this luxury of uh, being involved in these different communities. You know, like I'm in Alan's community, right? So I've gotten hooked into it. You know, usually what's interesting is going on in Alan's world, which is a pretty big world. Um, I'm I've been hooked into Gene's world pretty heavily. You know, DevOps Enterprise Forum, a selection committee, um, and then you know I'm one of the co-founders and and advisors for the DevOps Days. And one of the things that I I, I get to see is true leaders. And, and I, I don't want to put all the sort of weight and gravity on like, you have to have a great leader to be successful. But like, as I think about the people, Larry is a great example. Like, you know, you can talk all day long about like what Comcast does. I've seen at Larry in action. Like that's the kind of guy you want in your enterprise. Um, Courtney Kisser now, you know, you, you know, was at, you know, Nike and now she's moved on to a startup. Ross Clanton now at American Airlines, um, Heather Mickman. I mean, I can go on in the list, but these are people that impact change in large organizations that where it's incredibly hard. And there's just something about that. There, there is an immune system at large enterprises, though, that makes it hard for someone like me to actually be hired and be successful. I, you know, the uh, the idea of 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 disruptive change is not, is not something that the enterprises are sort of seeking out ever. And so if, if, if you're sort of grassroots and you're sort of like ground up and you get a few pilots going, that's easy. That's not, there's not a lot of resistance. It's when you get enough momentum that somebody feels like their domain is threatened, that you get the political pushback at an enterprise. And, 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 you know, uh, that's really hard to overcome. And uh, companies have to be very conscious about that. And Comcast has done a great job of that for me in the past. Um, but I, I see it in the nature of the enterprise, um, uh, you know, immune system, essentially. We probably could take any one of those last three comments and turn that into a whole nother dialogue. Maybe maybe we can uh, get some folks from the, help from the folks in the production department. Uh, for pulling us back together. Alan, do you want to close us out? One thing's for sure is we've got a lot more to talk about on this subject. I'd love to I'd invite you all back to continue the conversation. But for now, Raven, I, I appreciate you, you know, soldiering through this on audio only. Uh, if we do it again, we'll make sure to get that video working. Garima, always a pleasure to have you on here. You bring so much. Larry and John, what can I say? It's a pleasure to see you guys. I can't wait till we can see each other in person. I know a lot of us have gotten our shots. It won't be long. But thank you so much for adding so much. Mitchell, fantastic job. Most of all, hey, thank you, people watching this, because that's why we do this, is for you guys to get something out of it, join in the conversation, let us hear what you're thinking. Many thanks to Tricentis for sponsoring DevOps Unbound. Until next time, though, this is Alan Schimmel, Media Ops uh, for DevOps Unbound. Have a great day, everyone. Bye-bye.